I've learned through my work. For example, you know, if I sit down and I think, right, I'm doing this chapter and I'm doing that or whatever, then um, if I start to have a different interesting idea about something, I trust myself now to go with that idea because it will actually bear loads more fruit. So that's what I mean about trusting myself in general, because um, this journey of sort of realising you know more than you thought you did. Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 221 of ADHD for Smartass Women. I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter over at tracyotsuka.com. My purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. In the thousands of ADHD women that I've had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something. Not one. So, of course, I am delighted to introduce you today to Amelia Etherton. Amelia is a freelance editor, writer, and B&B owner living in Ireland. She has worked on travel magazines, in education, and for museums before being headhunted to become a nonfiction children's editor. She grew up in London. But when she was 18, she moved to Florence to study and work without knowing a word of Italian or anyone in Florence. 20 years ago, she moved with her husband and three-year-old daughter from London to a beautiful but remote part of Ireland, which she now sees was an incredibly ADHD decision. When her daughter left home, Amelia began working on an MA in creative writing for children and passed with distinction. She's written two novels for young adults, a radio play, and lots of poetry. She speaks Italian and French, Irish, though it needs improving, and has just started to learn Ukrainian. Amelia's two children are now 25, that's her daughter, and 20, that's her son. She was recently diagnosed with inattentive ADHD at 57 and has found that understanding her brain has been brilliant in helping her work with rather than against herself. Amelia, did I get all of that right? You did, Tracy. Absolutely. Yeah. Wonderful. So, Amelia, since I know you've been listening to this podcast, you know what our plan is that we always talk about the ADHD diagnosis first. So, could we start with that? Yes. Well, I think the circumstances, the, the way um, how it happened was I think I had a perfect storm of menopause and second child leaving home and my brother sadly dying and just um oh, an awful sorry. lot going on yeah thank you you know and i suppose i think um yes i think i i was getting this real brain fog as well and i i just thought i started to think i had early onset dementia so i actually thought i'm going to write a book about this and 
you know, I was well, not I have half convinced I had that. And then I started listening. Well, I started doing all the research on that and I started writing a novel about it. And then I started listening to your podcast and everything kind of fell into place completely. And and then I suppose about I've been waiting for the diagnosis for quite a long time. But then I basically got officially diagnosed quite recently, only about a month ago. And I knew, though, I knew sort of from a while back, for sure, sort of and everything. So that's kind of how it happened, I think. So can you tell us, what was your childhood like? Did you have ADHD symptoms that you recall when you were a kid? Well, what definitely, my mother always used to say I was very vague and which is, yeah, as a, I, I always grew up thinking, oh, yes, I'm kind of vague and daydreamy, you know, and, uh, but also, uh, she used to kind of liken me to my grandmother, which is her mother-in-law, and who was, who is, she sort of, you know, would say was scatty, but she also really didn't like my mother, uh, her, my grandmother. So uh, that was always quite hard, because I knew, oh, I'm like her. And mum mm-hmm. sort of absolutely hates the you know, that kind of a way. So that was a sort of, you know, those kinds of um, probably I, I picked up a lot of negative, you know, among other things, kind of messages there. But sort of at school and things, I was um, always doodling, I think, to concentrate, you know, and I was a real sort of bookworm daydream. Yeah, I just lived in books and things. Um, and yeah, it didn't get difficult. Did you do? Yeah. Did you do well in school or was school difficult for you? Well, I did well to begin with because I was sort of, um, I read very early and then they moved me up a class. And even though I was really terrible at maths, um, I think um, because I sort of had the reading and, and all of that, I was, but I was so much younger than everybody else in my class and I was really tiny. So it meant that kind of sports and things like that, and I was such a late developer that uh, I think it wasn't a great idea to sort of have moved me up. I enjoyed school and I had good friends. And then until sort of puberty, I don't think it um, was too too difficult. But then when, when it came to exams and revising, I mean, there was no way I would sit down and revise. So that became that became tricky. And I left school without many good. Well, I had I had decent enough. Exam. I was OK in all the exams you didn't have to revise for. But um but yes, I could, you know, it was, uh, I left school without the, the good enough A-levels probably for, for university. But then I was working, I did lots of jobs, um, and different jobs. And then, um, yeah, so, so, but it was, uh, it, it was, it was really, the thing that really got me going was um, the boredom of these jobs that I was doing, because I did a secretarial course, and it was, um, I suppose, had all these creepy bosses and it was, you know, really, really boring work for me. So I think that spurred me to, you know, just make a change. And I saw an ad in a newspaper and thought, right, that looks great. I'm, I think I'm going to try to do that. And so I went to it. Okay. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. So I have a couple questions before we get too far. You used the term, your mom said that you were vague. What does that mean? That's not a word we use. I mean, vague, of course, is a word, but it's not really a word we use to describe a person unless they're talking and they're, you know, they're unclear. And yeah. 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 And really, I suppose in a funny way, I'm I'm not as a person too vague, actually, because I think all my editor being an editor, you have to be so clear. But but I think she meant it as a sort of, well, you're you're so dreamy, you know, you and and sort of um, you're not all there, as in the sense that if somebody spoke to you, you know, you wouldn't, you you'd have been daydreaming, really. Um, so mm. I think I think she meant it that way. Um, and but I just, you know, how you remember words from the past. I always remember that. Yeah, especially when they're not positive, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Of course, those are the things you remember. Yeah, yeah. So did you have other siblings? Yes, I'm I'm in the middle of four. Um, so yes. Okay, um, and so did you feel like um, you were treated differently than the other siblings, that there was just something different about you, or...? It's interesting because, because since I found out about me, I've thought so much about my family and that's been very difficult because of you get a bit of grief over it because unfortunately both my brothers um died and but I do think that Tracy that my brother just below me 
was inattentive like me and we were in the middle and I think he was so daydreamy and he was so brilliant and talented well he was just very musical and his whole Mm. uh, but he was he was that uh, um quieter kind of thing I think he was we were I was very similar to him and uh, Mm. my other two siblings were noisy and kind of you know somehow yeah just busier or something so I, I very much feel that he was undiagnosed and and I have a grief over the fact of that because uh, he then suffered with schizophrenia and things. And, mm. yeah, so it's a sad thing. Um, but, yeah, so oh. it's funny when you you can look back and you can see this and you can think. And I also think my mother was um, the hyperactive impulsive um, sort of person and she – would have been fascinated and I wanted to talk to her so much about this and yeah and I can't because she's dead but it's that thing it's interesting it's sort of a an interesting kind of feeling of also becoming closer to them because of understanding more you know yeah Um, yeah so you think you likely got your ADHD from your mom I think so but you know it could easily have been well I think it was both of them I think my dad too Mm -hmm. I mean he was yeah he was very he was so curious and interested in everything and had such sort of knowledge of everything you know he was a he was that sort of a person um so I don't know yeah it could easily been 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 both of them okay so you also talked about um exams and school and you use the term revise can you explain what that means yes studying I think you say studying uh, being able to get down and study and I think we I think we say you know revising for exams where you've got to um go over things and uh, learn them you know learn them off um so yeah I think I struggled to I think I struggled with that working is it the working memory the sort of thing of um the linear thing of putting it all together, perhaps some of that uh, processing okay. stuff that I had difficulty with, but it wasn't. Um, yeah, it, it, it's hard to know, but I think it was. It was really just getting down to it, getting down to it. So actually, starting to do yes. the work. Yeah, the homework. Yes. So in school, you were. It sounds like you were fine when you weren't daydreaming, when you were yes. interested. Yeah. But um, then it was getting the homework done. Yeah. That was the problem. I think it was. And exams. Becoming a bit, um, a bit disin, a bit bored by once that sort of adolescence came. I think a, a boredom with what was going on at school and much more interest in what was going on outside school and perhaps that Mm. sort of thing um so it didn't uh yeah I'd lost interest in 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 the learning which was very interesting because it then all came back you know that interest in learning after I became very bored doing these other jobs when I left because I actually had sort of three years because I left at 16 after my A levels which is that last sort of stuff you do at school you know in the UK and then um it took me Yes, I had a few years where I was doing jobs that I really didn't, you know, like, and I started to think I would much prefer to probably go to university. You know. So interesting how that happens, huh? Yeah, <laughs> it does. Yeah, it doesn't look so bad then. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, so at eighteen, you see an ad in a newspaper. Is that where yeah. where it was? Yeah. I okay. Really tell us about that. that. So I think it was just in uh, the newspaper at home that used to get delivered. And I think there was an ad, somebody looking for an au pair in Florence and also an ad. No, it was an ad actually for this this institute in Florence where you could go and do an A-level. But I, I got in contact with them and they had uh, people who wanted au pairs. So I was able to go and, and have a job and somewhere to live. Um, and yeah, but I knew, knew, I didn't know any Italian and I didn't know anybody there, but somehow it did, it did sort of work out. I mean, I really kind of fell in love with, uh, I think it was being in the Renaissance, you know, I just thought I was in the Renaissance walking around these buildings and things. It was just amazing. Hmm. Okay. So just so our listeners know, Amelia sent me an email, and I'm not going to read the whole email, but it's okay if I read part of it, right, Amelia? Yes, yeah. 
Okay. So that um, everybody's on the same page and we know why you're here. This is part of the email that Amelia sent me. Dear Tracy, I don't know how many times I've thought about writing to you and then bottling out. But I promised myself at New Year that every day I would do either a kind or a brave thing. That's a really, yeah, I love that. I love that idea and starting in the new year. So for my bravery, here goes. Then you go into a full paragraph full of gold stars for me talking about how you've listened to the podcast for the last two years and the benefits of it. So thank you. And then you say, I wanted to write to ask you to do some shows featuring older women. One thing that can hit us later diagnosed women is the sense of grief that can threaten to overwhelm us. The feeling for me that it was so hard to bring up my kids mostly alone and without knowing we were all neurodivergent. The grief hasn't overwhelmed me, but there have been some moments. I think it would really help older women to see themselves in a guest of yours, even to know that you can have a whole life without knowing this, but somehow succeed and then have fun with all the time that's left. That's my plan anyhow. And so I responded to Amelia and said, Amelia, what if you were that older woman who would come on my podcast? You have so much to say, and I know our listeners would love you. So can you talk a little bit about that and what changed once you were diagnosed? Because I think that's probably when you experienced most of the grief. Is that true? Yes. Well, actually, I suppose it's been um, because the diagnosis was the official one was recent, but I suppose I've been thinking about it for the last however long it is. But um, so I suppose it was just the um, I would keep going. You'd you'd cycle slightly through something. You'd start thinking about what I was saying about my family and how I'd love to have talked to them about this and that they would have actually really understood in some ways. And it's just that that uh, connection. Um, and I think also, um, yes, you think about, you know, the the things of parenting that might have been easier if you hadn't had to have, um, you know, if you'd understood that this is a brain, you know, brain difference and you could have got more support because I've got some brilliant support now. Um, but I think, uh, yes, yeah, so it, it's it's things like that. But what did you say specifically? It was um, the, yeah, I think, oh, you were saying what's changed since the diagnosis really weren't you yeah I think, yeah 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 I mean what's changed is um I suppose it's uh what was I thinking um I mean you know really new ways I think of knowing how to kind of take care of myself and a, a kind of real sense of being allowed to take up a, a space in the world and um and just all of this, you know, being able to find find help, really. I've had a, a wonderful coach um, who uh, is called Maria, and she sends me recordings of our sessions. And they've been like an absolute, they've been a real revelation because it's so odd to hear yourself and hear yourself working through things and recognize that you've had some insights, you know, and that you're not it's actually just the feeling of thinking, I'm not as stupid as I tell myself I am in some ways underneath it all you know and so that's uh that's been huge really I think um so I mean can I ask you Amelia when you say I'm not as stupid as I thought I was um underneath all that telling yourself I'm stupid was there always a question like wait a minute I'm not really stupid look I've done this and look I've done that and look what this person says. And do you know what I'm saying? And look, I got through my MA with, you know, brilliant grades. How can I be stupid? So this consistent inconsistency. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing you sort of, I think it's just, it, it, it's within me, the two things. And it's this disjunct or a disconnect between sort of knowing that you can do this and then thinking, but then perhaps it's not true or perhaps I've faked that or something, or, you know, there's yeah. the, the stupid voice that says, I'm uh, delusional. Yes, I'm delusional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so that's why when I've listened back to those recordings with my coach, that's been so helpful because I can hear, no, you don't mm. sound stupid to me, actually kind of, you know, I can tell myself I can, I can hear it. Yeah. So I know that sounds ridiculous, but um, it's, uh, been a been really really good for me that um because um 
yeah because and and obviously all the things that you learn about how it's the brain and our strengths and then where it's where it is um you know where it's a bit harder for us but it's not to do with our intelligence in any way you know um yeah so and isn't um isn't that one of the main reasons you know women, especially older, and I'll say older, yes. anything over like 45, which to me is not older at all, but yeah. you know, whatever. Midlife, I would say. And, yeah. and, and later, what the hell was I going to say? I can't even remember where I was going. Um, I reckon. I know is it what that? it is. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> ask me all the time, should I get diagnosed? And my thought is always, well, I can't tell you what to do, but if it were me, I would certainly get diagnosed because yeah. once we realize that we have a different brain. That means we might struggle in some ways and around certain things that involve, for example, our executive functions, planning, scheduling, motivation, emotion, maybe. But that's how our brain works, right? It's, it's neurobiology. It's not character or a moral failing. And so then we understand that we have truly done the best that we possibly could under the circumstances. Yeah. And then that also, I think, and you alluded to that, it allows us to be kinder, not only to ourselves, but also to our parents, if we at any time thought that maybe they didn't do everything that they should have done, right? That, you know, maybe they, you know, could have, you know, taken some parenting classes. Yeah. Ultimately, we're all doing the very best we can. And of course, for those of us who have more privilege, it's easier. I mean, it's as simple as that. But I mean, we really are with what we've been given. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, we're doing the best we can. And so much of it is environment, right? Being around the people who love us exactly the way we are. Yes. Yeah, that's so true, isn't it? And I think if you can sort of find those people, then that's such a key to it working out well, you know, and I think that's, um, yeah, very, very important, isn't it, really, that people, you know, accept you. So can I ask you, when you are feeling this grief, because I am assuming that it's not all completely gone, right? There are times when it comes up. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to know, what do you do to help yourself feel better? Um, Do you have like a plan or a process or anything? Yes. I mean... I've got lots of things, I suppose. I think one of the things is um, uh, turning it into my work, if you know what I mean, um, because anything big, well, really it's doing journaling, which I've done for years, and uh, because I find that if I just put all that worry and upset and stuff onto paper with the messiest writing imaginable and because I'm doing it as fast as my brain is going, you know, through all of that speedy brain. And then um, by about two or three pages in, I've started to go, oh, you could do this, or I think I might do that. And immediately that's action, you know, and that's things that I think, well, I can do this about this situation. This is how I understand it now, you know. But when it's all just in your head, it's so impossible to deal with, you know, because it's just loads of different thoughts spiraling around and so grief the grief as well has been a bit like that it's sort of I've needed to just think about it and and talk to friends but I uh, really good friends and stuff but I think that sort of um although that was what was difficult to begin with because friends who've known me for years um they'd say but you're you know you're fine as you are and why would you want to get diagnosed really and do you do you really need to you know it's sort of Mm-hmm. And that was a bit hard because I was understanding more and more about it, but I wasn't able to articulate what it felt like and how it, what it sort of, um, what I understood well enough, you know. And I think that's, uh, and the stigma side of it, because people would have a certain idea about what it was. And so I think um, that compounded the sort of grief in a way, because there was the, I understood that some things could have I could have things could have been a bit different about certain things it could have been easier in this place and that and then I also when I was talking to close friends they they weren't probably understanding you know what it was but but that feels so much better now I think because I've come through I feel like I understand it better and 
and I feel like I'm beginning to be able to talk about it more easily. And I mean, something like this is amazing. I would never have thought I'd do something like come on here and be this is more because um, I'm very a private, you know, kind of more person. So it's sort of, yeah, it's all a process, isn't it? Though, I think. So it sounds like your big strategy was basically taking the grief and how would I phrase this? And basically enveloping your creative around it. Yeah. And yeah, so that really I, helps. I'm curious, while you were writing about it, what were you thinking? Was the idea just to get it all out? Or was the idea to kind of answer some questions for yourself, you know, yeah. around why did you do whatever you did? What don't you want? What do you want? Were you processing it? Were you doing all of these things? I think I was doing all of those things. I mean, I've, I've got a post-it above my computer that says misery and an arrow and then art and curiosity. And it's it's as though... Uh, so What does that when, mean? Well, to me, it just means something. It just means that when I'm if I'm really down and I'm feeling grief over the family members that have died, you know, and and that and the sense yeah then i i i can make that into art by because what happens is as i say like i basically when i've been doing journaling for a bit um if i've been sort of writing out all the things that i'm you know unhappy sad about or whatever then by the end of that they're out and what a relief and then i'm able to i always start you know, thinking about the ideas in my books or the, you know, I start thinking, I start getting fun ideas once I've got everything out, once I've got out the sort of the worries and that kind of thing, you know, then it frees me up and it's sort of, so that literally is misery, you know, becomes art. And, um, yeah. and so it somehow it does seem to really work for me that, um, and then of course you get the dopamine from the having fun ideas, you know, uh, so I suppose it just really So what works. you're doing though is you yeah. are you are definitely acknowledging the grief. You're not just yeah. tamping it down, ignoring it, you know, oh, you know, the toxic positivity. You're fine, you're good, chin yeah. up. Yeah. You're really going into it. Yes. In yes. your writing. Yeah. Ah. And I think I've always been like that. The, well, uh I mean you know it's that intensity that we have as ADHD is I think mm -hmm. it's that I mean I have my best friend we have what's called our chatathons you know and they just go on for days on end really so and we're always looking to find out the sort of truth of something you know you're you're looking to uh you know you just keep on yeah working working something out I suppose and I, I think that's something that helps in in novel writing because it's always about finding that you know yeah so I think there's a lot in that so you're definitely using your grief to create art and my thought right now is I always talk about our best purposes give meaning to our past yes. which you're clearly doing right you're taking what has happened and using it to fuel you to, I'm assuming the thought is to help other people through your writing? Yes. It feels very like Help that. yourself well, too. <laughs> yeah. Help, yes. But no, for sure, because I think, see, I write for young adults, which is that really intense age, you know, of coming mm -hmm. of age and sort of young teens really as well. And I think it's that sort of, um, I think for me, see, books, um, you know, really brought me up, I think I, you know, I sort of, they matter so much to me. And they, um, and I think they matter to, you know, a lot of children, and it's sort of, they really can help you in the same way that, you know, the journaling thing helps actually sort of entering into that world in your head, which is your world, you know, that you've made by reading fiction, it's sort of, um, it's the, you know, it's, uh, it's not like anything else. And I, I think it just, uh, children's books, you know, they're, for me, they're so amazing because they always have hope in them, which is something which adult books just don't have to have, you know, but children's books have to have that. And so it's... I never you know, thought about that. Yeah. But you're yeah. so right. 
yeah, they're really huh. responsible children's authors, you know, they sort of, uh, and also I think it's that thing where, um, of course, you enter so many different worlds, you know, which gives you as a child, if you're going through anything difficult, you can just enter this other world that, and it gives you the sense that there are other ways to live. So if you're in a difficult place, you could just pick up a book and realize, but so-and-so's managed to do this. And, you know, there mm. there are just gives you all that sense of possibility um, and agency, you know, because uh, always, um, you know, it's always those characters, you know, main characters always have agency. So it, it, it's, it's always helped me. And so I love to write for that age group because, um, yeah, because I, I feel... Like it's a really vivid, wonderful, you know, it's a vivid time, really. Well, and all your wisdom that you can then impart on young adults who, I mean, I remember, you know, being that age and thinking that something would happen and it would literally be the end of the world. And then yeah. the next day, I couldn't even remember it. But when you're in it, yeah, you yeah. just feel like it's yeah. everything and it will always be everything. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's so like that, isn't it? And um and also, you know, whether it's 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 all that time of first things, isn't it? First love, first sort of everything mm-hmm. that you do. Um so it's very um you know, it's pretty yeah, it's pretty intense. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, no, it's an in- really interesting. So I'm curious, you talk a lot about, you know, taking the past and weaving it into your art. I'm curious what you do about the present, because we can't change, right? What happened in the past? Yeah. We can only change today, tomorrow, now. Yes. And so I'm curious, is there any thought process that you go through to make sure that, well, for example, Dr., I think it's Sarah Saline. She had this, it actually wasn't her quote. It was from The Lion King. And I don't know which, I don't know that I've even seen The Lion King. I know my kids have a million times and I've probably been sitting there, but not paying attention because I don't like animated movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, Unless they're really, really good. Like, uh, what was the one? I think it was called Up or... Oh, yes, Up. I loved Up, actually. Was that the one at the end where they're saying it's just a home? It was during the time in the... the, um, it was like 2008, yeah. 2009, when everybody was losing their home um, oh, here yeah. in the United States. Yeah. Was that the movie Up? I think so, with the little scout boy and the, um, and the sort of uh, yeah. and the, the older man. Yeah, that yes. was kind of, yeah. that was like Cried and Up, I think. Yeah. Totally. It, but it was yeah. so good because it was literally, this is stuff. It's just a house. It's not yes. a home, I think was, was the message. But anyway... Yeah. In this movie, I think it's the like wild boar. He says, um, you know, most people say, put the past behind you. And what this character says is, you got to put your behind in the past. Oh, yes, yes. That's right. You know, (laughs) meaning, okay, put the behind in the past, but then you need to be in the present, right? Yes. So I'm curious how Mm. you weave that into your thought process when you're working through grief. Um, Or do you? So what do you you mean that sort of how do you think about the does it help you think about the present and the future do you mean or right because if we're just stuck in the past then we yes. feel no agency stuck. right like these things yeah. happen to us nothing's going to get better look at what's yeah. been in the past yes well i suppose it's i suppose there are bits of um my characters that you know are people from then and there's something about you've transmuted it really already by, you know, they're never exactly that person, but they're bits of that. And then there's something, I think you can put it all to, to, you're able to sort of put it to rest when you've, um, when you've done that with it, really, when you've written things into a story. Mm. um, It's just a very, uh, I don't know what it's like, but it's soothing. I don't know what it, it does. It has a kind of balm to it just doing that, I think. But what was I thinking? The thing of, um, you know, think this is relevant, that thing to do with, say, it, it struck me just the other day anyway, that, for example, I thought, if I hadn't gotten the diagnosis, 
because I'm around quite a lot of people who are aging, you know, in their their 80s and stuff. And I find myself very much thinking that wouldn't that be, um, you can think, oh, you're too old to sort of get diagnosed now. But actually, you know, aging is quite a hard thing for people to do and to go through. And there's so many things to do with executive function, like the memory and the um, and mm-hmm. the sort of vulnerability, really, and the sort of um, so it just really made me think that you know I'm sure this is relevant to what we were saying, but I don't know maybe it's gone. But um, you'd really rather know now so that you can uh, help yourself with you know for later on for for you know if if you if you have a nice long life, it's just sort of but it's definitely relevant to what you're saying. I think it's to do with the future, yes, and sort of suddenly i suddenly had a sense of what the future would be with the fact of if you being able to work on some of these things of yours and understand them better you know it makes complete sense we should all understand ourselves well just for life you know but but there is something about um about i think it's because i'm around people you know i've got a great friend who's 85 so i know some of the difficulties and i think gosh I need to know that I am not entirely prepared for all of it, but at least because it's a lot of, you know, there can be a lot of rumination on all your ailments. There can be all of that sort of thing. And therefore, like, doesn't it make a lot of sense to, to think about um, just to do the bit of work on yourself now, because, um, because I think that's, you know, it's a tough one to, it's the stress that I see elderly people, the stress of, you know, the worrying, yeah my memory my whatever so you know the fact that we all that's why I understand them so well because I've had memory problems all my life so <laughs> it's that sort of you know I am always losing forgetting da, 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 da. so I do I can really empathize with them but I also um think it just made me realize god I want to um I want to sort of accept myself with this but also just be able to work on it I think you can work on memory all your life um, you know Absolutely. Especially now that we know that there's neuroplasticity, our brains are not set in stone, you know, from the time we're born. There's so much we can do. And I, and that is, again, speaking of, you know, you've used the word a couple of times, I think now, hope, right? We all need hope. And when we think it's all done and there's nothing we can do, no wonder we don't want to get out of bed versus if there's just an inkling of hope. I think we are by nature, optimistic people who believe that for whatever reason, no matter how many times we've been shot down, hey, if anybody can do it, I can do it, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I think, and that's slightly why I think I write YA as well, because it's like the coming of age thing. And I think we just, maybe ADHD people, we just keep, as you say, we have a new, you know, we keep coming of age a bit. You keep sort of um, like those things. It doesn't just happen once. Right. Right. So I'm curious, how did your kids handle your diagnoses? Oh, wow. Yes. Well, they've been great about it, both of them, um, and so supportive and things. Um, but they've gotten a little bit bored as well of me going, you know, because I was uh, going on about it too much. So there was that. Um, but no, but they're so I was just talking to my son before I came on and he you know was just full of the the pep talk and whatever but um I think um yeah and it's the thing that's been very interesting to me is my daughter doesn't hasn't had a diagnosis yet but she thinks she has the hyperactive impulsive type and she's so found exercise as the way that regulated her you know and Mm -hmm. um and I think they um so what it I feel so even closer to her really now. We've always had long chats and gone really deep into psychology together. I don't know, we just do. And she always wants to find out more about how things work for her. But I think um, it's just something about there's just more understanding from I just can understand more about, you know, how it works for her. And I feel, of course, you feel bad. You think, oh, I wish I'd known because I could have... um, you know, understood this and that in her teens, but but also it is like we did our best. I think we definitely did our best and tried. Our, I think we're so hard on ourselves, mothers are. Um, but it's uh, but it's just. I think it's it's lovely now. It's absolutely lovely now. The the sort of way we can um, we can sort of 
you know, this under this understanding's really changed things. Yeah. So um, it's interesting, though. Ultimately, where you've ended up is that you have a really great relationship with your kids. Yeah. But what happens is you go back into the times when maybe you, the relationship wasn't so great. And so that's where the grief comes in. Absolutely. Yeah. Some of that sort of, um, you know, that that's where it was. I think it's changed because I think I'm feeling, mm-hmm. you know, um, but, but, but I suppose, yes, a year ago or so when I was just realizing it, I very much thought, um, you know, I felt so, yeah, I felt a lot of grief over, over that, that very difficult time um, when you've got someone, you know, we triggered each other. We sort of, um, we wound each other up about the things that were, because I, you know, my being forgetful and, you know, not on the case as, as, you know, mother and, and she's not like that, but she's still also really time blind. And um, <laughs> so, so we, we'd miss the school bus every single morning. So I'd be, I'd be driving, oh, no. driving across the mountain to school, you know, half the time and or halfway to school. And so we're literally missing the bus. And the um, and it's so funny how different they are because our son would never miss the bus, but his kind of he would he would just get there with nothing. He would have no nothing because he was so desperate not to miss things um not to, mm. to you know to be on time it's a kind of you know two completely different ways of going about it but neither way yeah. is particularly great <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Kind of, you know. um you also told me a story about your son and what happened when he switched schools we had been mentioning at the beginning yes. or we you know said at the beginning how yeah. important the environment is and so i'd love for you to tell that story well, I suppose what happened was he was having a really hard time at school. Obviously, the the ADHD was really had really kicked in, and whilst he was diagnosed when he was nine, I didn't put him on again. That was a you know I thought I've thought afterwards why not I didn't put him on medication, but it was there was no information at the time, and I suppose you know he he was so kind of happy in himself that we and yeah. we just thought you know we didn't we didn't realize that that you know about it and things so so we just supported him as much as we could and then um but by the stage of sort of about you know 12 and 13 he was having a hard time at school and i think he you know he was just becoming you know he was having a really hard time and there was bullying and things and then what happened was he we went and looked at this other school and he said yes he wanted to go and so he went and he was about 15 and he absolutely loved it and it was a a school but just all boys but they um then half of them were really into rugby in the class which wasn't him and half of them were into everything else really and then he he fitted into that or you know sort of really well and it was a very um sort of you know really changed things completely for him and there was this one day I'll never forget when um they uh he'd started doing portraits of um the boys and they he can get a likeness just quite quickly and easily and everything and they said oh and they started paying him you know bits of money for this and that was amazing because you know you know your peers are giving you money for a, and things then and one day they they put all his the pictures up that he'd done of the people in the dorm in the dorm and they sort of said sort of in secret and when he came in they, you know, they said this is your here this is your gallery you know this is kind of your, your, your art gallery now and things and it was just yeah so his he 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 just sort of really um everything kind of changed and he, he some sort of he realized what it was he wanted to do as well so he, he I mean you're so lucky when you find your purpose at that age but he he absolutely has and so then he decided and again it's kind of interesting because that school they um you know a lot of the the boys he realized we're all going to be doing those very traditional professions. They were going to go into lawyers and doctors and accountants and things. And he thought, I'm not like that. And he thought, I'm going to come back and go back to the school I was at, where there's a great, lovely art teacher. And uh, he thought, and I'm going to do art and I'm just going to going to work towards that. And so that's what he did. And then during that 
pandemic year, one of the pandemic, he he um he he entered a competition with this uh, with this oil painting that he'd done, and um, he won that national national art competition and so that that oh. opened so many doors for him as well with getting into art school so yeah but it was hyper focus I mean I just can remember so vividly the um well just the feeling of him being in his room and he would be humming while he was painting and just oh. going back to it and then coming away and going back to it and how it was taking shape and the you know just being in the zone being so in the zone really um, yeah. So where is he now? He's studying animation in England. In yeah, ah, in the, the one thing yeah. that I said I don't like, right? Animated movies. <laughs> but you, you, I think you probably like. Yeah, he's, he like you know. There's so many different types, Tracy. Yeah, there's true. so many. Um, true. Many, and yeah, oh yeah. my gosh, if you are an artist. And a creative, which most of us are, although I, you know, everything I draw turns out to look like a pig. Um, <laughs> Same here. <laughs> I bet that is the best job ever. Really fun. Yeah, really fun. I mean, he's now doing comics more, more actually. So it's comics and concept art is what it's called. So, but you know what? That's all story as well. So I just yeah. have the best fun conversations with him about the stories he's doing and um, and he discovered as well, you know, he said, oh, God, I just love the, the story side of it. And you know what? He wouldn't read when he was young or he didn't read too much. But I read yeah. to him because I just wouldn't I mean, let him. I don't know. I just sort of read to him because I knew he was I knew he liked it, really. You know, he did. He did. Yeah. He just we sort of had a yeah, I read to him for a long, long time. And um, that, um, you know, is one of those things that, yeah. That was nice. Well, but, that's yeah. that's a wonderful story, and um, it mirrors my son's almost. I'm well, not I've sure heard. that Marcus. Yeah, yes, yeah. When um, you talk about your son, yeah, similar. Um, I don't think Marcus has found his real thing yet. He's exploring a lot of things. It's not like with your son where he can say, "Okay, it's got to be around art." And some of the things that he loved, you know, his passions like music, you know, he still listens to a lot of music. He likes music, but for whatever reason, he has no interest in actually making that a career, even though it got him, you know, into the university he's at. So Marcus actually is now in Prague studying for his, I guess, second semester junior year. And so my husband and I and my daughter are going to fly out and meet him. And we were in April, I think, and we were planning to go to Morocco. But the layovers, I've never been to Morocco, and I don't know why, but I really want to go. And so that was the the plan. But the layovers from Prague are just way too long. There's nothing even remotely direct. And we're not going to be there that long. So it just doesn't make sense. So literally yesterday, we've been trying to figure out where else could we go. And we've been toying with the idea of Copenhagen Mm. or Dubrovnik, Oslo, or someplace in Ireland, literally oh, yesterday. No. And so <laughs> when I started to do the research to prepare for this podcast, I'm like, yeah. wait a minute, Amelia's in Ireland and she has this B&B. I yes. need to know more about it. So tell me about this B&B. Where is wow. it? And what made you do this? Because it's oh, in a remote oh. area, right? It is. Yes. No, Um. it's... um. Our website is a little bit clunky and Blooming Well needs a lot of work, but it's, uh, yeah, it is on, um, we're, we're very close to the sea and it's in Kerry, southwest Ireland. So, um, yes, it's sort of uh, near enough to the Skelligs where Star Wars was filmed and all of that kind of thing. <laughs> um, but that's actually not open really in April. But yes, it's very beautiful. It's mountains and sea and that's really what it's, you know, what it's like at the landscape and things. It's, it's, yeah, it's very rugged and lovely. Yeah. So in the little, I don't know, is it a village or is it a town where your cottage village. is? It's a village. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're How many residents villages. are in that village? Oh gosh, that is one of those typical questions that I can't answer. <laughs> I mean, is oh it really, God. really tiny, tiny? Is it medium yes. or is it big? No, I'm, it is really tiny, but it's that thing where I'm um, very bad on kind of statistics and things so I'm oh, remembering them me too yes yes so I can't I know even remember how many okay. people are in the town I live in I don't know if it's 8,000 
or yeah, 800. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's little. <laughs> yeah. Well, this probably is even way littler because uh, when you think about the school would have had um, 40 children in it only. Mm. And that's um, the whole primary school. So that's from age four to 12. So 40 kids isn't, it shows that the community is pretty small. It is really small. And so do you feel like this is your home? You totally belong here. You love it. Or do you feel like I'm in the middle of nowhere? <laughs> well, it's so like very interesting you say that because I think about that a lot. And uh, I am a bit sort of in two places because I'm partly, um, I still feel partly English. I mean, I, you know, mm. but yeah, but it's, but here is also, you know, I'm very at home. But yes. Do you a, live full time in Ireland or are you in the UK a bit? Well, I'm going back to the UK um, for sort of stretches at the moment because because of both the children having left home and my husband works away for long, long periods of time. Ooh. So it does mean, um, yes, that I just need the um, need the stimulation really of being going yeah. and seeing the old, old friends. So do you think you'll retire in Ireland um, in the Stone Cottage? Um, well, yes. If you no, ever, and no, when I, I say know. retire, yeah. saying that to an ADHD person is ridiculous. I, you will probably yes. never retire. Exactly. <laughs> but exactly. is the plan to stay there um, forever? Is this your forever place? Gosh, um, <laughs> I I I don't think so. I think maybe not because of the fact that actually it but it's really hard to know how we'll all feel and but I I think for me it's um a sense perhaps of not wanting to to yeah it's hard it's hard to say. I think some of my some of me does belong in London still as well. So it's actually hard, yeah. Uh, Where is your daughter? She's in London, you see, and uh, ah. Yeah, and so is and my son is very close to there. So it may, you know, we have to we'll see. So what, he's in London too. He's very close to London. He's only half an hour away. Wow. Okay. So yes, our our situations are very similar. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Funny, isn't it? How, I, yeah. Really I mean, I don't think that where I live is, it's not as remote at all because we're 45 mm. minutes from San Francisco and there's, you know, oh, the closest wow, town yeah. is probably 60,000 residents. It's five minutes away, but we yeah. live in the country. And so when I go back, or, or excuse me, when I go to New York City to go visit the kids who yeah. both live there, Marcus is still in school, Taya, you know, is in her first job, just the energy there. And I'm I like, yeah. I don't know if I can stay in this little dinky town. <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> and it. But is is it hard for you? I'm sure it isn't for you. But I I find now because it's so quiet where I am, and it's wonderful that peace. But then, um, it when I go when I go back to London, I'm quite overwhelmed for the first few days. You know, by the noise and the, uh, yeah, just the general sort of chaos. I can't seem to process. You know, what's around me so easily. I mean, I I do get used to it, but. It's um, that overstimulus thing, you know, it's, yeah. So Amelia, um, I'm not inattentive. I am really hyperactive. And so yeah. that might be the difference. Yes. And so it's almost like I thrive on that yes. stimulation. Like I need that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The problem is when I think about, so we live on six and a half acres when, and, it, and it's just physically so beautiful where we live mm, mm. that when I think about, okay, moving, because this house is too big, but to move, I would be in some little residential neighborhood with, you know, a little postage yes. stamp backyard. And I exactly. don't know that I could do that. But if something were to happen to my husband, I would be screwed because there is so much work here. And, you know, certain yeah. times of the year, you know how it is. Exactly. We're the same, actually. We've got uh, quite a big garden, so it um, it requires a yeah. lot of, you know, attention. And I, I would love, you know, the neighbors are so spread out here. I would love to have neighbors right next door like we used yes. to have. Yes. But I want land around me. So the whole thing doesn't mm. make sense. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, don't yeah, know yeah, how, yeah. you know, this is going to work. 
Yeah, oh. that's it. That's it. It's and I, I think there's a little bit to do with the sort of regulating of stimulus or something because I am like you in that I really mm-hmm. love the I love the excitement of it all as well. But um, but it's just how you how you regulate and then I need enough stimulus here. I need enough ways of finding fun here, which can't isn't yeah. always isn't always straight that easy to find. You know, I have to work at that to find my. The fun of here whereas when I'm in London it, it's art galleries and museums and you know and things yeah. and, and loads of people to go and see that I haven't seen for ages and you know so it's um it's just kind of regulating working out how to how to how to work when I'm there which I find quite difficult and how to have the fun little sort of you know some fun when I'm here really a bit more fun do here. you have um really good friends in Ireland and when I say really good friends, I guess what I mean is, are there people there that you feel are your people? They're like you. That is such a good question. And it is, it is difficult for me in a, in a way here because, um, because the, the way um, people are is they have this, they have this wonderful kind of practical intelligence but I would be probably, I'm considered probably to be a bit away with the fairies or is what they describe <laughs> it, you know. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes I do have that feeling that uh, it's hard to communicate because, um, yeah, for, for, for that reason. But, you know, the amazingness and kindness and, you know, fantastic, you know, people are fantastic here. But I think mm. when you say that about people who are um, somehow you know, like in that way where you can talk about everything and anything, there's, it's a little harder, I think, in some ways. So I have to, I have to make sure that when I'm all isolated, you know, and my husband's away that I, I don't, um, I make sure I've still got some of that going, you know, because, because it's, that's important. I think you don't want to feel um, that you can't communicate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, Amelia, what do you think the key to living successfully with ADHD is? Um, I know. I had tried to think about that. I think it's about um, trusting myself because um, that's what has for so long kind of eluded me, that sort of, um, you know, lacking confidence. But I've learned through my work that very much it's to do, if I if I just so, for example, you know, if I sit down and I think, right, I'm doing this chapter and I'm doing that or whatever, then um, I can actually now let myself, if I start to have a different interesting idea about something, I trust myself now to go with that idea because it will actually bear loads more fruit, you know, and it's just, it's a roundabout way to go about things, but it works for me, you know, I think it's that thing where, so that's what I mean about trusting myself in general, because um this journey of sort of realizing you know more than you thought you did and that sort of Mm. thing really yeah no I love it so you are the best expert on you period yeah yeah Yeah, so Amelia um where can people find you if they want to know more about you um well I've I don't do much social media at all because um, it's yeah I just find it a little overwhelming generally. But I I have my anyone I have my email address which is Amelia J Efferton at gmail dot com, and I'm very happy if anyone wants to contact me on that. And uh, and there's the website for the B and B if they want to come and stay. So there's a uh, that's um, www dot pekinecottage.com. That's wonderful. And so if they want to um, share something with you or reach out to you, they can do that uh, using your email. They can, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Amelia, thank you so much for spending time with us here today. It was just delightful to talk to you. No, it was lovely talking to you. And uh, I, I just think you're doing such good stuff with your podcast. It's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. So that's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Amelia, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. And you know what? Your reviews really help in that regard. 
As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. Come join me over at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.